Turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll begin by reading all 23 verses of the chapter. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Now it came about that when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria, Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and not let their sin be blotted out before you. For they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Now when Sembalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we are coming among them. Kill them and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places. And I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When the enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah, or supported, is another translation. Verse 17, Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore a sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive. We are separated on the wall far from one another. In whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time I also said to the people, Let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may may be a guard for us by night 
and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to the water. I know that's a lot to take in, but what a scene we have going on in Nehemiah chapter 4. As we go back and walk through it, I'd like to remind you that Scripture instructs us, it commands us to love our neighbors and our enemies. Perhaps, sometimes, enemies and neighbors can be the same people. and We see that happening in the text. They are surrounded, the Jews are surrounded in Jerusalem by enemies on all four sides, coming in at them from all four directions. And they are doing their best to discourage the people of God not to finish the work God has called them to. Now as we look at this text, it's called Enduring the Struggles of Rebuilding. Nehemiah had a problem here. He had some opposition. He had some struggles to overcome. And when you deal, or I deal, and Nehemiah reveals this in in chapter 4, when we deal with a problem, we reveal a lot about our character, who we are more than probably anything else. And we kind of see the character of Nehemiah once again in chapter 4. What I mean by that is this. If you want to know what people are really like, watch them when something goes wrong. When they're opposed upon. When they're made to wait. When they're tired and achy, as a great illustration we had just a minute ago. Or how about when someone cuts them off in traffic. Ooh. And it, Nehemiah handles this opposition, this struggle, and we'll look at that in a moment. And if you notice as we read through the text, progress is continuing on during the whole time. Despite the ridicule and the plot and the fear and discouragement progress was made. In fact, in the first nine verses, it tells us half the wall had been restored. But the first part is verses 1-6. through We see an opposition by ridicule or mockery. Sambelet knew that if Jerusalem came back, it would lessen his influence in the area. Look what it says in verse 1. He became furious and very angry. And he was intent on discouraging Nehemiah and the project they were doing. Even though he knew what Nehemiah and the people were doing had the approval of the Persian court. The king had given him approval to go and do this. Now much of the opposition we see at first is kind of like a psychological warfare going on. He kind of uses uh, these questions, rhetorical questions, and what I would say modern day kind of trash talking, if you will. Look back in verse 1. He's talking and trash talking, talking a little smack. He's going to put down their qualities. Look what he says in verse 2. Those feeble Jews. Now the Jews knew they weren't strong or numerous. And the job was huge. Perhaps even more than they should have took on. He also put down their ambitions. Are they going to restore it for themselves? 
He wanted to instill doubts into the people about the wisdom of rebuilding the wall. They were foolish wasting their time to do so. It was hopeless to try to finish. He also put down their optimism and enthusiasm. Can they offer sacrifices? Do they think prayer and sacrifice are going to grow their wall? And their enthusiasm, can they finish in the day? All this is like a psychological warfare, talking trash, if you will, to get in the minds of the people, put those doubts in there. Kind of like the enemy does to us today. The battle always starts here, doesn't it? And by the way, he gets angry before he even starts talking to the people. That reminds us too that opposition that we will first get is usually anger. The world gets angry about God's kingdom being advanced. Do you know why? Because it challenges worldviews and values. It challenges the world's accepted standards of morals and ethics. There is no more personal responsibility or personal accountability. Everyone's passing the buck. It's not my job. It's, it's their job. It's not my fault. It's their fault. Everybody's looking for this. And before I get rambling on chasing a rabbit here, bear with me. I will say this. At the time of judgment, when you stand before the Lord God Almighty, you'll have to answer for yourself. You cannot justify yourself by the actions or inactions of somebody else. You will stand before Him and answer for yourself. You will not be able to shift the blame on anybody else. Verse 3, Tobiah kind of jumps on the bag wagon, doesn't he? Look what he says. Well, if a fox, I'm going to kind of read it sarcastically, so bear with me. If a fox would jump on it, he would break down the stone wall anyway. Kind of an exaggeration of the facts. That wasn't true. Archaeologists have discovered that wall back in Nehemiah's day was probably about nine feet thick. So I doubt a fox jumping on that thing would have made it fall. But once again, they're trying to get into the minds of the people. Look what Nehemiah does in verses 4 and 5. He goes to God in prayer. Once again, that should remind us, as we see constantly in Nehemiah, going to God in prayer, that prayer is not our last resort, dearly beloved. It's our primary weapon against opposition. When we're on our knees, we are the strongest. God's strength is perfected when I am weak. Because I keep, keep I quit relying on myself and rely on His power. And notice when He prays. He's praying for divine judgment against sin. He's asking God for Him to act. He's not acting, asking for permission for personal vengeance. And Nehemiah knew without a doubt that rebuilding the wall was God's will. Therefore, opposition to building God's will was what they were doing. Now, we're admonished to love our enemies and make our primary concern to lead them to faith and forgiveness through the message of the cross. Nevertheless, we can still ask God and pray that He would act against injustice. We do that all the time. When we pray God knock down the walls, Take every obstacle, break every chain loose so that your will may be done. Are you willing to pray this? Whatever you need to do, O oh God, do it. And when you pray that sincerely, you better hold on. 
because he will move in ways you can't possibly imagine. The first thing he's going to do, at least in my personal experience, is hold a mirror up to me and say, before I do anything else to him, let's talk about you and the areas you need to clean up. Look at verse 6. In spite of all that thing, you've got to remember, this is going around. People are hearing these questions. So you can see the doubt is starting to come in a little bit. But they kept going. They kept building. And as we seek to build God's kingdom, we will face opposition. It may manifest itself through circumstances or even people. But we must remind ourselves, dear beloved, the real opposition that we're facing is not people. It's spiritual. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We do have an enemy. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I need to say this right now. The biggest lie Satan has pulled off is getting people to believe he does not exist. Yes, he does. He is more powerful and wiser than we are, but our God is much wiser and stronger than he is. He's still underneath the sovereign God that we serve. But we go on head to head without God, we're going to have failure. We have an opposition by plot in verses 7-9. through nine. Now when he realizes this, these questions, these rhetorical things that he was doing was not working, their anger increased and their plans escalated. Look at verse 7. Now he has succeeded in getting some people to join this alliance against Jerusalem. Look at this. You had the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashodites. Now Jerusalem, think of this. Jerusalem is now surrounded by enemies on all four sides. She's completely surrounded. You have the Serapitans on the north, the Arabians on the south, the Ammonites on the east, and the men of Ashdod on the west. And we read in verse 8, they're all conspiring together to fight against Jerusalem. Now put yourself in that situation. You're hearing these rumors. And now you know the enemies are on all four sides of you. Now how serious they were about actually fighting, we do not know. Perhaps they could have attacked them and put them down and reported back to the king, hey, they, they uprise again. Or they could influence the king to issue an edict like back in Ezra to command them to stop the work. And they would hear that and then stop working because it was useless. Can you see how the opposition has grown? The intimidation from mockery to physical threat. They want to make war against Jerusalem. They want to stir up confusion among the people. You see how it escalates? Because these they didn't first stop. They heard it, but it didn't work. Now they up it up a little bit to help think that they'll stop it. But it doesn't work. Same thing is true. When we build God's kingdom, we start busy doing stuff, we'll have a tag. But if we can move through that, endure that struggle, and keep moving on with the power of God, the enemy will attack even harder and greater the second go around. We will face greater intimidation and opposition because Satan and the kingdom of darkness is waging war with all those who are keeping God's commandments and holding fast their testimony about Jesus. Nehemiah's response was clear. Prayer, precaution, trust, and good management. Look what he says in verse 9. We pray to our God. 
And because then we set up a guard. He trusted God, but he took the necessary precautions. He was aware of the dangers, and the dangers were real. When we resist the devil, it's not just a one-time action. He will attack again and again and again and again. And he will use anything and everything in his disposal to stop you. He'll bring up things of the past. Things that you've confessed and repented of and God's forgiven you of, He'll bring that up again. As you get ready to come to church, He'll bring stuff up. Oh, you can't go to church. Look what you do this week. He'll constantly throw an obstacle, an obstacle, an obstacle at you. He'll never stop. Just as Nehemiah prayed and took action by posting guards 24 hours a day to protect the builders from the threat, we must be constantly on the alert and watchful from the attacks of Satan that he wants to launch against us. That reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a warring lion seeking someone to devour. We have to stand fast. We have to stand the watch. Watch out for ourselves. Watch out for our loved ones. Watch out for our church family. The devil's just waiting for someone to fall. And anybody in a position of leadership will tell you this. It, it's very difficult at times because if you're influencing a lot of people, Satan knows if he takes you out, he may take 5, 10, 15 people with you. He's always looking. He never stops. And in fact, right now, I'm sure the battle is raging even now. Then we have discouragement and fear verses 10 through 15. Eternal problems or struggles can be more serious than those from the outside. Those rumors of a, a pending surprise attack only added to the discouragement caused by the Narsher hardships. Look at there in that, in that section 12, 10 or 15. It said in Judah, basically what it's saying, I'm going to paraphrase, all these boulders are heavy. There's too many of them. There's too many rubbish. Can't we really get this thing done. I'm tired. I want to quit. And on top of that, you have all these rumors. you got enemies on all four sides. See, external pressure only amplifies eternal weakness. And look at verse 12. The Jews that lived among them, they lived outside of Jerusalem that bordered the territories with the enemy. They're telling them the same things. Look what they said. When they told the workers from all places where you turn against us, they're going to attack. Can I just paraphrase? The people outside are telling people in Jerusalem, you need to stop. They're going to attack you and kill you and they're going to kill us. Can you see the pressure building in the scene? It says they told us ten times. The enemy is constantly telling these rumors because they know their neighbors are going to go tell them. And you're looking at the work. You're looking at the wall. You're looking at the stones. You're thinking, why should I even do this? It's too much work. They're going to stop us. They may kill us. It'd be easier just to stop and call it a day. Does that sound anything familiar what we see happening in our society today? Nehemiah, in response to this, strategically stations armed guards at, look what it says in verse 10, the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed, the exposed places. And he grouped them according to families to help strengthen motivation to fight. He looked at what they were most vulnerable and he put guards there. He grouped people together in their families because people naturally fight for their families. 
we must be aware where we are vulnerable at, individually and corporately. And we must strengthen the places in our lives where we're the weakest and exposed. There's times that I can stand and I can fight. There's other times I know I need to turn and run. That's spiritual maturity. There's some guys that I work with. They go to some places after work. I witness to them at work, but I know I have no business going where they're going because that could be a temptation for me and cause problems. So I step away. So guys, I can't go with you. You know how I feel about that and know who I am. Some people will say, well, Tim, you're weak for not doing No. I know where I can stand and fight, where I, can, where I need to step back. We need to look at that and look at places we need to strengthen ourselves. It's called discipleship. Putting on the full armor of God. Look what Nehemiah does. He calls them together. He, he saw this fear in them. He rose and he spoke. He's telling them, look around, look at the strength of how many people are actually we have. And he gives the opportunity to encourage them. Look what the first thing he says. Remember the Lord, I love this, who is great and awesome. And then he says, Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives in our houses. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When we stand against the enemy, we don't do it in our own power. Ephesians, once again, Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on, here it comes, the full armor of God so that you be able to stand firm against the schemes of of the devil. Don't forget God. And I've said this many times from this pulpit. We look back in the past. And there's some horrible things that happened in our past. There's some great things that happened in our past. But God was always there. He's always steadfast. If He can get me through all that, and I know He's with me now, surely no matter what comes down the road, He'll have me in the future. Remember what Paul says? What can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? No height, no death. Not even death itself can separate you from the love of, Christ, the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. No matter what happens, God has me in His hands. Don't forget that. And we verses 16-23, through 23, the rest of the, the chapter, you see the work continued through diligence and readiness. Look, it says in verse 16, half of my servants or men carried on the work while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates. The captains were behind and supported the whole house of Judah. The trumpeter was with Nehemiah, and he would give warning of attack. Can you see this? As they were working, they had weapons at their side, but they never stopped working. People who had to use both hands had a, had a sword on their side that people could carry supplies in one hand and a weapon in another. And then you had a trumpeter who would blow the blast if there was attack, and he'd tell them, rally. He had a plan. He, he planned accordingly. He tells the people, look what he says, our God will fight for us. Surely he was thinking of early occasions when God had fought for Israel. Now, most of the Jews knew that because it had been passed down from generation to generation. The story of the exodus from Egypt and what happened. Could you imagine living through something like that? Coming out of Egypt, you've been a slave for 
80 some odd years and you saw God and the plagues, you, you saw the Red Sea split, you saw the pillar from fire, you saw God give them all that. How do you get to explain something like that to somebody? I mean, heck, how, what words do you use to possibly explain that experience? But they knew about that. And he's telling them, look, God fought for us in the past. He will fight for us now and he will fight for us in the future. To use a term that I I hear a lot on TV and the news, it is what it is. I'm glad God didn't look down to creation and go, oh, it is what it is, and walked away. He took action. He had a plan. And if you look back in the Scriptures, God knew it was going to happen, but He still created the world anyway. That blows my mind. But He did something about it. He sent His Son. Verses 21 through 23, you see the exemplary dedication and diligence of the people. Nehemiah and his group of personal helpers set the example. It is clear that each person kept himself or herself in constant readiness. So, how did Nehemiah, Nehemiah endure the struggles of rebuilding? He took the time and the effort to confront the crisis. The first thing he did was pray. Then he planned accordingly. But here's the main point of the whole sermon. He never took his eyes off the goal. The work never stopped. Did it slow a little bit? Yes, but it never stopped. He didn't put his head in the sand, act like, oh, hey, don't worry about that. He planned accordingly. He saw the threat, took care of it, but he also told the people, remember who God is and that God will fight for us. Continue the work. This reveals Nehemiah's character. Who he was as a man who trusted God. Sought God's direction. Planned accordingly. Let's not forget the way you and I handle problems. Struggles, opposition, reveals who we are, our character. Now, some people grow tired of problems and struggles. They always seem to be occurring. And they'll say this, I don't know what to do anymore. I, I just feel like throwing in the towel. The answer I would give to you today is number one, seek God and pray. Plan and prepare. But please hear me. Whatever you do, do not quit. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to stop. To throw up your hands and say, it is useless. And my question to you, is that what happened with Christianity in America somewhere down the road? We just quit it? talking into the culture, talking into families, and we just step back and say, oh, what's the use? You're not going to listen? I fight that battle every Sunday morning. Why go? What difference is going to make? To which my wife tells me, you're a call from God to preach the Word, get your butt out of bed, let's go. And it's exactly how she, and she'll kick me too out of bed. I kid you not. But I love her for it. Because he told me one time, if you were to quit, 
you would be the most miserable person to live with because you wouldn't be following God's plan for your life. Look at us. Look at this. Look around. We're in rural America, Forestburg. We're finally getting a Dollar General store. We're moving up in the world. And people of the world, by the world's wisdom, now remember, this is the world's wisdom, look at us and say, what difference could you possibly make? And the enemy wants to use that with you today. I don't want to go to blast Wednesday night. Those kids, I just can't do it. They just wear me out. I'm tired this morning. I don't want to go to Bible school. I just can't do it. Just because it gets hard, please hear me, doesn't give us the reason or the right to quit. When I see happening, I see this generally across America, as believers and as Americans, we're too quick to quit. I'm glad that people that came before me did not quit when Pearl Harbor was bombed. Boys put their lives on the line. Some of them dying at 18, 19, 20 years old. More important than that, I am so glad that when God looked at the world, He did not quit. He did something about it. He looked at me, who shook my fist in his face, used his holy name as a cuss word, looked at me, he did not quit. He kept sending person after person after person in my life to get me back. I couldn't see it then, but I see it now. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. First for Baptist Church, he's not giving up on us either. Corporately or individually. I'd like to conclude with this verse found in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. If you want to read about a messed up church, read 1 and 2 Corinthians. church had a lot of problems. And Paul tells them in verse 58, and I'm just going to use that. I'm not going to read it verbatim, but I'm going to make it personal to you. Therefore, my brothers and sisters in Christ, be steadfast. Fast. Be immovable, knowing that the work that you do is never in vain. The work that you do in the Lord. May that be your encouragement this morning. I wonder what the people would tell us today about what we read about in chapter 4. They looked at the work. It's overwhelming. When you look at what needs to happen, the gospel, how many people are lost, and you look at the, just the sheer numbers, it's a daunting task. It can get overwhelming. You just want to sit in a corner and cry. You know, what can I do? I'm only one guy. But they continued on. They were in that city of Jerusalem, surrounded by enemies on all sides. All these rumors, they thought they were going to have an attack. But they never stopped. I want to cry when I think about so many times we want to quit because we're going to threat of getting sued in court. The threat of being called a Bible thumper or a 
narrow-minded or a bigot. Those people back then literally put their lives on the line. Yes, it comes down to this. What are you willing to die for? Put your life on the line for. We've experienced unprecedented freedom and blessings in this country. But there's many of our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted, being put to death, beheaded, burned alive, you name it. But the media doesn't report this. It's happening. And guess what? It's starting to get here in the United States. We must make the decision now who we're going to stand with. Don't be consumed by it. Don't sit in the house and be afraid all the time. Pray and seek God. Plan accordingly. But whatever we do, brothers and sisters, whatever we do, we cannot, we must not quit. That is not an option. The name escapes me at the moment. There was a yeah, martyr of the faith early in the first century. Polycarp, I believe it was, said that Jesus has never failed me before and I will not fail him now. That's before they burned him alive. I'm not ready to be a martyr, I'll tell you that. I like to be and see my grandchildren grow up and I like to continue to see lives transformed by the gospel. I like to be around and see all that. But one thing God hit me real hard with this week. Send whatever you do. You cannot quit. You must not quit. I've called you. I will sustain you. And I will never leave you. Trust me. The ball is in your court. It's invitation time. If you do not know the Lord, never given your life to Him, I invite you to do that now. All of us are sinners. We have all broken God's law. No one's perfect. Perhaps you've done that. What's keeping you back? Fear? Discouragement? I know I went to Nashville for the convention. Concerned about a lot of things. And as we sing that same song we sang, How Great Is Our God? I like to sit close. Got as close as I could. And I looked back and I saw 14,000 plus messengers singing and praising God. And it reminded me, God always has a remnant. Always. That's why it's important for us to gather together every Sunday because as the opposition continues to grow, we're going to need that encouragement. Hey, I'm not alone. i got my brothers and sisters with me. They're with me. And more importantly, God is with us. To encourage. It's easy to get discouraged out there. You can go home from church Sunday night and be discouraged just turn on the news. And to use the words of Nehemiah himself, remember who the Lord is. He is great and awesome. And He will fight. For us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the record that we can read back of how you worked with your people so long ago. And Father, may we not quit. May we continue on to build your kingdom. Father, I pray for those right now who are in this room or listening to my voice via the internet, whatever the case may be, dear God, that you would encourage them. Father, even now, they will feel your mighty arms of love and peace wrap around them as you pull them close to their side. And remind them, dear God, as pastor, as our brother in Christ, as people who are here, that here at Forest Church Baptist Church is a place where we love you. That we're known, we're living by faith and we're known by love. This is a true safe place for them to be. Father, I pray that you continue to move. May your Holy Spirit continue to move and speak to us. And may we respond in obedience to your call. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?